Yo, got something really dope for y'all today, man. I got an interview with my brother, Dr. DeWitt Scott, who will be the newest content contributor to the Literacy Kings. Let's go. Real quick, though, when we were trying to set up the interview, our schedules were conflicting a bit. So DeWitt told me, hey, man, I can do this time, but my kids going to be there. They might be in the background or something like like." Is it cool? And uh, I was like, yeah, man, it's cool. So as my team was editing the video, it's parts where you can hear the kids in the background. So they was like, well, what you want us to do about it? I was like, nothing. You know, that's beautiful. I think it's just so dope as you hear this interview and hear where DeWitt came from and how important his father was in his life and what he was able to uh, achieve and accomplish over the years from playing in the, the D-League being one step away from the NBA to actually becoming a doctor and how important his father was to hear him now on the other side, raising his kids, talking through what we're talking through about financial literacy. I mean, it's really poetry, man. So if you hear that in the background, that's what it is. This is really money, business and books with the homies. Started at the bottom, now we black entrepreneurs. What up, what up? This is the Literacy Kings podcast, man. Appreciate y'all checking us out. Another episode, and we got something special, something real special today. We got an interview with a homie of mine, and y'all gonna hear a lot about him real soon, and you also gonna hear a lot from him. So this ain't no just random interview from some, like me and the homie have got a chance to really build, really connect, man, and I'm really excited more than anything to share uh, the stuff we've been working on and introduce him to y'all. And so he would call, he would say, oh yeah, my name is DeWitt, but this is Dr. DeWitt Scott. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This is Dr. DeWitt Scott, avid book lover. He he might dunk on you. You know what I'm saying? My dog might <laughs> dunk on you. Got a history, got roots in basketball from Chicago. And man, when I say like his book collection is insane, like his book collection is insane, you know what I mean? And so he he been rocking with us, and uh, today we got him on the podcast to introduce him to y'all, talk about his story, what we got coming up, and how if you ever been looking for a book that we ain't covered, I guarantee you he gonna know it, man. Do it. What's going <laughs> down, baby? Man, what's up, Corey? Man, thank you for having me, man. I feel feel blessed to be. Here on Literacy, Literacy Kings podcast, bro. Yeah, I love it, man. I love it. I love it, bro. So let's start. Let's let's take it from the beginning, man. Let's take it from the beginning. So I got a chance to know you. I understand, you know, the value that you have in books. I mean, do you have a number? Do you know how many books you've read or own? Like, do you know the number? I don't actually. I'm, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I don't. I, I couldn't. I couldn't even ballpark it if I had. To. <laughs> yeah. So, so man, the knowledge that you that you that you've brought has been powerful, man. Your story, as we got a chance to learn, is powerful. And for all of our people, you know, I know that they're on the mission of financial freedom. They're on the mission of gain knowledge. They're on the mission of empowerment. And you've been able to overcome some obstacles. Obstacles over, overcome some odds to live your passions. You know, wife kids you know and a doctorate degree bachelor's degree you know what i mean so it's like you know that kind of stuff turned me up man and so let's take it from the beginning man because you know i know it didn't start like that so born and raised in chicago right yeah yeah born and raised south side never ever in the suburbs always in the city you know, yeah we kind of ter- we be territorial sometimes in chicago <laughs> yeah yeah um, yeah i heard 
Yeah, yeah, but Southside, inner city, my entire my entire life, outside of college or whatnot. But when I'm here, I'm in the city. Okay, for sure. So tell me about about growing up, man. Because okay, Southside of Chicago, if we most people have heard about it. You know, uh, Bernie Mac was Southside, right? Bernie was Southside. Bernie yep. was Southside, right? R.I.P. to go. <laughs> yep. Bernie was Southside. But yeah, man. So so bring this up, young young Dewitt coming up. Is it a certain neighborhood? Is it a certain type of upbringing? You know, you you in the trenches, y'all on the outskirts. Like walk me through that early upbringing and how you came up. Yeah, man. So my, my neighborhood was the Jeffrey Manor neighborhood on the southeast side. Okay. Um, very tough neighborhood, difficult neighborhood, bro. Not um, not a lot of positivity. Just I mean, when you think about South Side of Chicago, Jeffrey Manor embodies that, man. Danger, gangs, drugs, a lot of gang banging and whatnot. Uh, the curveball though was that, you know, I lived in Jeffrey Manor all my childhood, right? But the thing is, I've never been a hood dude, mm-hmm. right? I'm not. So I've been in the hood. And I've never been a street dude, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always been what I consider a square. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and as a kid, you know, because, you know, you grew up in a similar way. Being a square was like not a good thing. You don't want to identify as a square. Yep. Right. The hood and, 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 and being tough and all those things was kind of what you was kind of what the culture and everything was pushing you toward. Right. And I kind of grew up with that that confusion, too. But as you get older, I realized, man, being a square really was the best way to be. Big facts. Um, yeah. Yeah. So growing up in the neighborhood, I never I never I never game bang with Chicago is a huge game banging city. Mm. Um, I never game bang. I never got into any street life, never had run ins with the cops, never no selling no drugs, guns, none of that. I was a dude when I left the crib, I was getting on the bus. Mm. You know, and and I'll be out the neighborhood all day going to school, playing basketball, whatever. Then I get on the bus and walk right back to the house. I was not hanging out in the hood. That wasn't me. So so what kept you from succumbing to the street culture, the hood culture? Like, what was it that kept you out of the streets? I mean, there's a number of things, right? But the number one thing, the core thing really was my dad. Okay. You feel me? Um, me, Me and my dad, man, we are best friends to this day. Bro, beautiful. Um, yep, yeah, my beautiful. dad. He's lived with me all my life. You know, what I'm saying he comes to this day. Right, I'm 36 years old. Next month, I'll be 37. 37 next month. My dad still comes to the, to my crib right now today, three times a week. Let's go. Um, yep, yeah, and we talk on the phone two to three times a week. And so having him and having him like so close and, and us being so tight it was still a father son like what we weren't buddies right right like, yeah like you know who the father is and i knew i was the son yeah. you know what i'm saying but us being so tight that's that was the number one thing that kind of guided me from not being in a much worse situation especially in the neighborhood growing that i grew up in right right and so tell me about your pops because clearly for him to guide a son you know that way he it sounds like he he's pretty dope himself, man. So how'd your pop come up? Did he was his dad in his life, or or you know what what made him you know so solid like that? Yeah, it's so ironic. He, he didn't have his dad in his life. Mm. Uh, he didn't have his dad, his dad in life. He grew up single single mom household in the projects. My dad's from the projects. My dad had run ins with the law. Right. Mm. My dad, you know, was fighting cases by the time he was seventeen, and you know, and it it didn't look good for him for a minute. He didn't meet he didn't meet his dad. Until he was 29. That's the first time he met. Wow. Um, so he didn't have none of that example. And then he came, when I came along, he became super dad. Like, you know what I'm saying? Just a 180 compared to what he knew. Right. Um, you know, and and I, I think it was because of what he lacked 
is what made him want to do so much for me. But he, he man, he turned it around. And like I say, man, we if you ask any of my boys, any of my friends to this day, man, they knew me and my dad was like this. Yeah. When you seen one, you seen the other. I'm a junior. We got the exact same name. And he just made sure that he was like, man, he didn't have his dad. So he gonna make sure that he was just the ultimate dad. You feel right, me? Right, 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 right. I love that, man. I absolutely love that. And so, so as you were, as you were growing up, you know, and you were focused. So you mentioned you go to school and, and you hooped. So was that nope. your, was, was that your, 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 your two back and forth school and hooping since you were young? Yeah, man, that was my life, man. School and hooping was my life. You know what I'm saying? Really school and hooping and girls. School was yeah. like third. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? School was like third. I wasn't a bad student, but it was like, I could have been better. Right, hooping, right. Cause so, yeah, so one thing, I've always been super tall, right? I'm 6'6". Six, six. Yeah. So every every year in school, I was always taught to do it in my class. And my dad always loved basketball, so he put the basketball in my hand at an early age. Nice. Um, so I, I became just... I mean, a basketball fanatic. By the time I was seven, eight, nine, man, I was a basketball fanatic. I didn't want to do nothing else. That's all I talked about at school with my friends. So it was only natural, man, that I would get into ball. I was so tall. I played it early, developed some skills, and it became really just the center of my life, man, for real. Yeah. So, so as you were as you were developing that, did you just have that work ethic or was it or did your dad like push you like you need to go to practice, you need to grind, you need to hit it or did you just take it uh, you know upon yourself to do all that? It actually is a little bit of both, right? So my dad understood like you know, he would tell me like yo if you want to do this then you got to like you got to really get into it. Mm-hmm. You just can't do it casually. And I was like, okay, but what he did more than anything that really made the made the transition for me is that um he put me in an environment where other people, like where there was like older people playing ball, right? So he would take me in Chicago. We real big on the program, mm. right? The, the summertime program. So when I was 10, he would take me down to the program and watch all the NBA players up close, mm. right? Um, at that time, Jawan Howard, Michael Finley, Tim Hardaway, all these guys was playing. And you could see it and you could, being close to it, you realize how hard they work. Mm. So... He was teaching. He taught me work ethic without having to tell me to work hard. Nice, right? Because he he put me around. He put me in the environment where it was like, oh, okay, these guys, these are grown men. They do it for real. Oh, they big. They strong. They fast. They got. They can dribble. They can shoot. Oh, if I'm gonna get there, then I got to have a crazy work ethic. So nice. he didn't necessarily say it, but he he put me in that environment and opened up the doors for me to see it as a kid. Like, oh, this gonna take some work. Right, right, right. I see what you're saying. Nice. That's yeah. dope, man. So eventually it works out for you because you know you don't just stop at the park with, with basketball, <laughs> right? So so we go now we go to 12, 13 year old DeWitt. Is it uh hoop dreams? Is that the main and only focus? Is going I'm going to the NBA or wh- where were you at that point? Yeah, it was Hoop Dreams, right? And it's, it's, it's crazy that you say that, right? The, the documentary Hoop Dreams, right? I don't know how old the audience is, but I'm, I'm starting to sound old at this point, right? <laughs> well, I know. But the documentary, yeah, the Hoop Dreams, right? That was those two Chicago kids right. and everything. To this day, that's my all-time favorite movie, right? Of course, yeah, yeah. Right? And we and we can talk about what this movie or not, because it's actually a documentary. But either way, yeah. right? One That was one of the main motivators. But yeah, 12, 13, yo, DeWitt, right? So out by 12, I was already in AAU. Um, by by eighth grade, the Chicago sometimes had already named me one of the top eighth grades in the city. 
Mm. Um, it was like, you know, I'd already been playing nationally in tournaments, right? Funny story, nobody believes me because it was VHS tape at that time, right? <laughs> and it, now everything is recorded, right? <laughs> but in, in the eighth grade, I played against LeBron. Straight right? up. Played, played against LeBron, man. My AAU team played his AAU team, NEO Shooting Stars in, in Akron. Okay. Um, we took the trip to Akron for a tournament, and we played his team in the national championship. I mean, not, not national champ, but the tournament championship, and they beat us. That was eighth grade. Then came back the next year in ninth grade and played them again. Okay. And, and, and the AAU Nationals uh, down in Tennessee. So I played LeBron two back-to-back, eighth and ninth grade. Um, and like I say, I ain't got no footage of it, man. These, these kids now, they so lucky they broke everything. So hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, bro. I got several questions on that. One, <laughs> did you ever one-on-one? Were y'all ever matched up? See, the thing is, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, it was so long ago. Yeah, so when I played them, I played them the something between 8th and ninth. That was 1999. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure we probably did because we were similar height. Mm-hmm. Then we played the summer between 8th and ninth, which is, oh, I'm sorry, the summer between 9th and 10th was 2000. By that time, by 2000, he was taller, mm-hmm. he was stronger, he was mm-hmm. faster. Mm-hmm. And if we did, if we did go head to head, I ain't... I can't lie, like I said, I did something. You ain't I dunk ain't, on him. You, you don't remember him. Nah, nah, him that. nah. I ain't dunk on him. Matter of fact, he was he was he did some nasty dunks in that game. I was like, good. So this boy, he ain't fifteen. So at that time, was it clear like he different? Like back even then when you were playing, because he wasn't LeBron then. He was a kid. You know right. what I'm saying? Was at that time? Right. Do you remember being like, yo, that kid is different? So I'll say this, the summer of 99, the first time I played him, it was like, okay, he could play. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that ain't no big thing when you talking national AU tournaments, everybody can play. Right. Right. Yeah. Bro, that next year, 12 months later, yeah. <laughs> it was like, this. it was like, nah, this boy is clearing the way the number one player in the nation, bro. Mm. By, by 15, the year 2000, right? I don't know if you ever get a chance to talk to him. He, he, the timelines match up. We the same age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> In 2000, he came back. He was so much stronger, so much more athletic. It was like, it's clear to everybody in our class who the number one player in the nation is. Now, do you think, can you, now I'm asking, now Now we can shift from LeBron to you as, mm-hmm. you know, because we're going to get to it. You played uh, basketball at a high level. You mm-hmm. achieved education accolades <laughs> at a high level. You are a high performer. So, in your opinion, is it just genetics, or is it work ethic, or does it have to be a marriage of both as it pertains to becoming great? You feel me? Yeah. No, no. That's a legit question. I think it's a marriage of the two with it much more heavily weighted toward the work ethic, right? Because the genetics, don't get me wrong, LeBron and, and others like him, right? Because we expand sports. It's other, it's other LeBrons in the world, mm-hmm. football, baseball, all that. Mm-hmm. You know, Deion Sanders, Bo Jackson. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. Yeah, you can't deny that part of it, right? His height and his size. But at that level, for anybody, man, that's ninety-five percent work ethic and mm-hmm. sweat and dedication and just a sacrifice that the average person can't even fathom, bro. Man, that's real. That's good. Yeah, that's real good. Yeah. I can dig that. I can dig that. Okay. All right. So you dunked on LeBron. Let's move past it. All right. <laughs> so, so, so you, so you hooping, 
and you know you're good and so eventually mm-hmm. you, you you eventually you get into high school now this whole time you staying out of trouble you just focused on school and hooping and nothing nothing else is going on yeah, yeah, school hooping and girls, man. And, school and, and, girls. and really, I thank my parents for a lot of that. And people don't realize it, man. When you, I had such a blessed childhood, such a great childhood, because my parents made an environment for me not to worry about things that other kids may have to worry about, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's real. I, I never, I never ever had to worry about where my next meal was coming from, right? Right. I always had all the clothes that I needed, right? I always able to get to school and from school, right? So when you, people don't realize when a parent does that. When, when my mom and dad did that, what they do is they open up the door for me just to have fun and focus on being a kid. Yeah, that's right? good, bro. So I'm in high school. I went to I went to one of the top basketball high schools in the country and one of the top academic high schools in the country, right? It, it, it's two and one, right? Mm. Whitney Young High School, which is always a national powerhouse in basketball, but I always tell people that's Michelle Obama's alma mater. Nice, right? nice, nice. Yeah, Whitney Young High School in Chicago is rare where you can have these, all these kids that go to Harvard and Yale, but then you also have these kids that's like going to Division One basketball. So right. um, I went there, right? And the city of Chicago is big. It's just like Houston, right? You're from mm-hmm. Houston, so you know, right? So my neighborhood, Jeffrey Manor, was an hour and 15 minute bus ride from my high school. Wait a minute, what? Every day, bro. Four years. Every, Every day. day, an hour and 15 minutes? Hour, 15 minute bus ride. It was two buses or a bus and a train, right? Every day from 14. First, first day of school, 14. My mom and dad, like, all right, we'll holler at you. I'm leaving out the door at 6 30. I'm walking to the bus stop, you know what I'm saying? And then by the time I take one bus to downtown, transfer to a train to the west side, because the school was on the west side. I'm getting off the, the, the train 7.35, 7.45 to start school at 8. Wow. Um, That's hard. You know, yeah, Chicago just so, it's so spread out like that. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And so what were you, what you're doing on a bus ride, man, an hour, two hours every day, what are you doing? Man, so the morning, I'm sleeping half of that. <laughs> I was sleeping half that time. I ain't gonna lie to you. Yeah. And then kind of just, you know, when I wasn't sleeping into my headphones, right, the young kids don't know nothing about the Walkman. Yeah, um, yeah, the Walkman. And, you know, yeah, and trying to, we had to carry a book full of CDs. Like, man, yeah. with CDs, I'm gonna listen to you flipping yeah. through the... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, music and sleep. I can dig it. Exactly. That's yeah, so... Man, yeah. That, that is, that's dedication. Okay, so then that eventually that eventually gets you that eventually gets you to college. So, what is your hoop career looking like? Or you know, because that's the focus, that's the that's the goal. What is that looking like as you graduate? Yeah, so my senior my senior year, I ended up being all state. Nice. Um, I was all state thirteen my senior year, and I got I got a basketball scholarship to a Division one school. It was a small Division one school, HBCU, mm-hmm. um, it, uh, called University of Maryland Eastern Shore. Mm-hmm. Um, I was recruited out there. I signed signed my letter of intent, and that's why I went for my first year. It's on the it's right out. It's on it's on the eastern seaboard of Maryland, like east of the Chesapeake Bay, like a whole place where if you're from Chicago, you ain't never even really heard of. Right, <laughs> You know what I'm saying? But that's who gave um, you the scholarship, so that's where you went. That's where I went. Right, it was an all black college, like I say, historically black college, and. I was out there for one year, and it was cool. We was in a conference with other historically black colleges, right? So in my conference, that was Howard, Morgan State, Coppin State, Florida A&M, North Carolina a We all in that conference. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And that's why I played. And that was my first time really going up and down the East Coast. And my first time being on all those black campuses, right? I was on black campus like every other week because of our schedule. And then we also played a lot of high level schools, right? So we played Illinois, we played Auburn, we played University of Maryland. We played a lot of Big Ten, Big East type of schools. So. Right, right, right. Now at this point in time, are books, are you reading or have you found your love for books yet? Nah, to be honest, I didn't actually. Um, in high school, I wasn't a big book reader. Hmm. Um, I read basketball magazines. That's what I love. Slam Magazine was my Bible. Right, um, right, right. And then once I got to college, I wasn't, my first year of college, I wasn't really into to books too heavy either. So, yeah, that first year, it's like, nah, I was just hooping, you know, going. To, I'm still going to class, you know, still staying out of trouble. I just, right. I, I never been in trouble, dude. Right, um, but right. as far as books, nah, about, by 18, books still wasn't really in my orbit like that. Got you, got you. So, so at this point, you still, so at this point, you still focused on hoop dreams. Now, have you, have you met your wife or anything yet? Yeah, yep. So, funny thing about it, right? Me and my wife, we actually met in high school. Okay, I met um, in high school. Yeah, we met in high school. So, it's been a long time we've been at this. We actually, so she, she was a year under me, right? And we didn't meet to my senior year, uh, right? Okay. Um, and really toward the end of my senior year, I almost got up out of the building without even meeting. <laughs> the biggest mistake <laughs> of your life you almost made. Man, you talk <laughs> you talk about a pivotal moment in somebody's life, bro. Man, I'm a senior, I'm hooping, and she actually was a cheerleader. Oh, bro, y'all was looking like uh, a 2000 uh, rap video. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? We, yeah. as, 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 exactly what we, it, it sounds like a 2000 uh, like movie love story, right? Yeah, story Nick Cannon. <laughs> right. Really <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but so I was a senior, she was a junior, right? And, and our school is huge, man. We got like over 2,000 students. So you can you can go to a school without seeing people all day. Mm. Um, and she seen me one day like after a game. This is like the next day. Mm. Um and I, we was passing each other. We still talk about this. We was passing each other on the stairwell. And she was like, she she got my attention. I'm just walking. She got my attention. <laughs> nah, nah, like, nah. Is, does she got a different story from you? Oh, yeah, I got the nah. same story. Nope. If you ask, it'd be the same, same story. St- okay, all right, all right. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so she get my attention on the stairwell. She's like, hey, I just want to let you know you played a good game yesterday. Mm-hmm. All right? And... I'm walking, I ain't really, you know, noticed anything at first, but when she got my attention and I seen her, I'm like, oh, she kind of, she look nice. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, she look good. So, you know, I'm like, okay, well, thank you. I appreciate it, you know? And so that, for me, I jumped right on it into a conversation. Like, oh, okay, you, like, you, you at the game? She's like, yeah, I'm a cheerleader. I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, glad you liked it, blah, blah, blah. We, you know, it started a little conversation. Right. But it, it, didn't, it didn't just take off it initially. I was like, oh, okay, all right, well, good to see you. But now she's on my radar. So every time from that point on in the hallway, if I saw her, I would stop her and get her attention. Of course. Of you course. know, it's just, you know, and, and we, we laugh about it because I'm terrible with names. Like, you, you got to tell me your name like eight times. Before <laughs> yeah, I can remember. to remember it. Yeah, so I'm so when I would see her after that, I'd be like, "Hey, cheerleader," I would call her cheerleader. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and she'd be like, "Hey," or whatever. Yeah, I just talk to her about anything, right? Yeah, and I yeah. ask her for a number. And actually, we was just friends. We didn't start dating in high school at all. Uh, um, okay. Yeah, we was just friends. We would just hang out that my senior year or whatever. And then I went out to college in Maryland. She stayed in Chicago, and we just kind of kept in touch through phone. Not not every day, but just. You know, semi-regularly. For me, I just wanted to, you know, keep the communication open. Right. Uh, so so did, that's that, did that, you, that's how we got started. 
So what what stopped you from pursuing her? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, the big thing for me was, you know, I was getting ready to graduate. She still had another year. I see. So it's like you know you getting ready. You know you getting ready to leave. You no, know I'm getting ready to leave. I right. I got my scholarship. I actually signed my scholarship early at the mm-hmm. beginning of the year. So by the time me and her met, I had already. I knew I was going. I had a dorm room. I had a whole everything was set for college. So I was like, well. Can't really date her like that for real. So in my mind, I was like, just continue to talk to her until you're ready to date her. Man, so but most seventeen-year-olds, eighteen-year-olds don't have that kind of foresight. Like, let's just keep it a book. Like, that's some yeah. foresight for us. Where is that coming from? That type of foresight, because usually it's instant gratification. Yeah, I, you know what? I don't know because me and her talk about it. I think. And, and I, I can't lie. I think I just attributed to me just being a square type of dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's, you know, because I, I seem to, because I, I ain't gonna lie. My wife is just as much of a square as I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so it's like now one of y'all were like savages like that, where it was like, nah. you know, it was just more with her being, you know, more of a, you know, relaxed personality or, you know, just not. Let me see what everybody doing. Let me do that. You know, you know, just kind of being a, a relaxed personality and you, it just kind of, you know, allowed the, the situation to turn out like that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. definitely. So she, you know, she was like a super church girl. She was into the church. She yeah. not really doing much like as far as wild, not nothing. That, that's right. not who she was. Right. Um, you know, I still, don't get me wrong, I dated and I dated other women and I had, you know, mm-hmm. what people would consider fun or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I knew when I met her and I got to talking to her, like after the fifth or sixth time, it's I'm different. like, oh, she's legit. It's different. And she's legit. Bro, that's a whole nother man. <laughs> that is something, man. I've heard that several, I've heard that the few times that, you know, you have high school sweethearts, it's rare, but you have high school sweethearts and then, you know, you met 20 years later, you still together. It's the same no. words. Whenever I do run into them, it's like after a couple conversations, you just know. So that's no. that's pretty powerful. Yeah, so, I just knew. So you hooping, you hooping, and you in you're in you're in Maryland. Mm-hmm. How do y'all eventually get together? So I, I I go to Maryland. I went there for one year, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of my freshman year, my coach got, and I was like, I think I'm gonna transfer. Okay, right. So I transfer to another Division One school. Uh, low level, unknown, usually unknown, right? Today is known as Purdue Fort Wayne. It's kind of competitive today, mm-hmm. but at that t- at that time it was Indiana Purdue Fort Wayne. It's a Fort Wayne, Indiana. Okay. I transferred back there to my se- for my second year of college. I'm 19. She went to Xavier University in Ohio, not the HBCU. She went in Cincinnati, and I'm I'm in Fort Wayne, so we still kind of talking every now and then, every you know, on and off, just trying to I'm just trying to keep her close. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I ain't trying to lock nothing down to solidify. I'm just like, I just wanted to, rem- to remember that I'm here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we we doing that. She and I freshman year, I'm on my sophomore year. Now, this is where the, the book thing kind of jump in for me, right? So being on the South Side, right? The South Side, like 95% black, mm. right? And then I go to a HBCU for my freshman year, which, of course, 99% black, right? Mm-hmm. So my whole life, for the first 19 years, I've only been around or significantly interacted with black people, mm-hmm. right? So now my second year of school, I transferred to school in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and the school is 98% white. And I'm like, man, this is, <laughs> yeah, bro, the culture shock was crazy. Right. Now, did you know that 
go before you went there were you aware that this is about to be a predominantly white school yep i took a yeah. visit okay and i went there and i looked around and i was like yeah this is about to be something i've never done before right but this the bet was the best bet you felt it was the best bet at the time yep yep sure. and i felt like it's the best way to get my goal which is to play professionally so okay um so i get to this school on coaching shop I'm, I'm talking about I have, you know, you got white teachers or whatever, but I ain't never had white friends or white nothing. Right. Um, and I get there and I'm like, so my first thought is, and I got family telling me when my first thought is, I'm like, yo, they not gonna like me here. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I don't really know how to interact with white people. They're not interact with me. This ain't gonna work. So, mm. and, and then at that time, Division One players, when you transfer, you had to sit out a year. Okay. Right. College now they got this transfer portal thing where you could just jump each year or whatever. So now I'm transferring to the school and I'm about to sit out the whole year. I can't play with the team. I can't travel. And I'm surrounded by white people in a way I ain't never been. Right, right. I'm staying in my room. I ain't leaving. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I ain't leaving. I'm in my room. Um, and then in that, I was like, you know, what can I do? You know what I'm saying? I'm in here. I'm kind of bored. I play a few video games a little bit, but that's when I picked up books. I picked up a book for the first time and got into it and that's when it just took off. I ain't, it ain't changed since. Got you. Got you. Got Because you had all the time. I see. I see. All the time. Okay. I got a bunch of book questions, but we're going to save them. We're going to save them for the end of the interview. So, okay, boom. But that's where books come in. Okay. So, yeah. you're reading. You're hooping. You're on the phone. Hey, just letting you know I'm right here. And yep. time progressed to graduation. Now, mm-hmm. senior year, you graduating. I know your goal is to go to the go to the NBA. Um, what ends up happening? So what happened was, so remember I transferred, so I had to sit out that second year. Mm-hmm. So after, after you sit, after I sat out, now I, I played one year, I sat out one year. Now I got three more years to play. Okay. So now I get five years of college. Okay. But what happens was I end up getting my bachelor's at four. Okay. You feel me? So I graduated from college in Ford and had one more year to play. Hmm. Um, how, how does that so work? So for that last year, you just take you, you say how you just take random classes to stay a student. So you got options. You got options, right? So I, I'm my thought is I'm gonna take two random classes to stay eligible because I just want to hoop and read books. That's all I want to do, right? Right. But then I had an advisor and even my coach. They was like, "Yo, you got an extra year. Why don't you work toward a master's?" Hmm. Right. And, and this is 2007. He's like, yo, why don't you work toward the masters? I'm like, ah, I don't really, you know. And they pushed me to it. I was like, all right, you know, I give it a try. I need 30 credits to get a masters, and I did 30 credits in in, in one year, three semesters, a summer, a fall, and a spring. Oh, you went in, in. Wow. Yeah, while hooping. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Right, tra- traveling the country, hooping, and all that. So, you know, I, and when that. When I when I started it, I like I I give it a try, and now I've got all these classes, these master's level classes, and I'm still hooping. I'm looking at my advisor like, man, this was supposed to be, yeah, I was supposed to chill. Mm. You talked me into doing this. This is harder than mm. the past four years, and I got to get all this in one year. And, and fortunately, you know, by the grace of God, I did it. I, right. So when I graduated from college, when I walked away, got done playing, I had a master's, got two degrees. Nice, nice. Yeah. Let's go. What was your master's in? So a master's in liberal studies, um, which is a nice way of just saying, like, liberal studies is a program where you can sort of 
direct your own learning. And obviously, that's just, as you can see, that's the type of person I am. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. So I was able to like set up classes and and sort of like a, a way that was tied to my own interests versus just being stri strictly sociology or right. strictly sociology or history or something like that. Nice, nice, nice. Okay, boom. Okay, so you graduate with the masters. Salute to that. And where's your where's the your basketball career at this point? So at that point, I had a pretty good college career, a lot of accolades, leading scorer for, for majority of my time there. Oh yeah, um, I, I, from this point on, on the interviews, should I call you uh, master of three pointers or something? something <laughs> like, I did my research, man, and and that's why the articles <laughs> popped up. The, the the master of three pointers, you know what I'm saying? They they got you framed yeah. in there, nice man. So we need to add that to you know rappers call themselves whatever they want to, bro. So if you want to be called by that, we can make it happen. Yeah, you right. I should get a rap name. Young three pointers, young young shooter, something, whatever. Oh, young shooter, you going viral? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. A little shooter, a little baby, something, whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but no, yeah, that was my game. I was I was the shooter. Three-point shooter. I wasn't really... I was never really super athletic. I ain't coming down the lane and ducking on you. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I'm saying? But I was that dude that you couldn't leave open because mm. once I catch it, I, I'm dropping it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, now my college career is over. I'm, I know I want to play professionally. And I got these two degrees, so I'm like, man, what I'm going to do? I'm trying to, like, get an agent and try to go to Europe because that's what everybody who's not good enough for the league, that's what they think. Man, I go to Europe. Mm. Right, trying to get an agent, but again, I played at these low-level schools, so I ain't really getting the respect. I ain't played Duke, I ain't played Kentucky, so it's hard to get like an agent that's trying to take me seriously and really got the clout to get me over there. So Europe ain't really working out, and it's getting into the summer. Anybody know anything about pro ball? Right, the jobs, the jobs, they start drying up around August, early August. Hmm. Right, if if you ain't uh, if you ain't signed to a team, usually by like mid September, late September, it ain't looking too good. Right. So I'm like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do or whatever. But at the time, the NBA, it, it was called the D League. They call it the G League now. Okay. But it started off as a developmental league for the guys that was like trying to fight their way into the league. The D League was a, was a decent league at that point. And the city that I just played in school at, Fort Wayne, Indiana, they had actually just started the D League team. Mm, okay. And they didn't know me. I, I didn't get on their radar, even though we played in the same building. We shared the same building, everything. They didn't know me. I want to trip them, right? But the way that the G League works is every G League team has to have what's called an open tryout. And it's open to anybody that can pay the fee. You feel me? How um, much is the fee? The fee at that time, if I remember, I think the fee was $140. Oh, like $140? Yeah. Okay, okay. $140 for like the, the, the form and you in. So at the time... I'm just graduating school and I'm focusing on ball, so I ain't really had no job like that. I ain't had 140 dollars, mm. right? So, who I who I lean on? I lean on my dad. Like, look, you know, this this might be my only last chance to really do this. I need 140 dollars. You know what I'm saying? Mm. <laughs> and, my, and my dad, he come with it, 140 with with nothing to it, right? Side note, this is 2008 when this happened. 2006, my mother became really ill. Mm. Um, and wasn't able to work and everything. So I, I'm in college, but it went from kind of like a two-income two household. And so my dad was trying to take care of everything while also taking care of my mother, whose health condition only got worse right. throughout that time. So 
my dad was dealing with a lot of different, a lot of stress at that time. Yeah. He kept it away from me so I could just be 22, 23. You feel me? Yeah, yeah. So even I knew asking him for 140 dollars at that time was a stretch. Like, oh, I, right. I need 140. You know, he came up with it with no problem. Like, yeah, boom, here you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, and man, I, he gave me a money order. I took that money order, filled the application, sent it in the mail. They was like, we got it. Open tryout is this date. It was late September. They was like, we'll see you there. And I went back, right back to Fort Wayne, Indiana, my city where I played ball at and where I went to school at. And I went to the open tryout. Open tryout was two days. Hmm. Um, walked in, it was 70 guys hmm. in, in the open tryout, right? And D-League rules is um, you can only take one guy from the open tryout. Man. Yep. No so matter how many. One out of y'all 70 is going. Yes. And and when I, when we say going, but what they mean is you can only take one guy and invite him to training camp. When okay. you get to training camp, you still got to make the team. Right, right, right. You know, so I went in there, 70 guys from from everywhere. You had some guys who, who was bums, who had no business being in there, right, to guys that played in the Big Ten. Mm. Dang. A wide range, right? Two day, two day, um, two day tryout for the for the overnight. I still don't. I, I slept on my homie's couch. One of my my teammates, who's you know, he was a, a junior at that time, slept on his couch and went to the tryout. And I ended up being that one guy out of the seventy. Man, hard, hard. No. I know you had to be feeling good, man. Man, I felt good, but I felt exhausted. I was so tired that weekend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was. Yeah. I, I gave me everything I had. Um, yeah. So I was. The, so they was like, they gave me the invitation, like, yo, come back to training camp. Training camp um, was in November, so like early, mid-November. And then you come to training camp, and I don't know if things change now, but this is 2008. At that time, the D-League, they, was only, they take 10 guys per team, but training camp has 17 guys. Okay. Right. So seven of y'all going home. Right. You know, and I'm like, damn, I'm the dude that came from the over trial, right? 16 guys in here. I'm the one from the over tryout. All these other guys, they from Welby. And then some of those other 16, they returners. Okay. Right? So if you're returning, your spot pretty much already guaranteed. Yeah. So that was, I want to say, a week and a half of just intense. And again, I'm I'm coming from IPFW or Purdue Fort Wayne. I'm the lowest school, school nobody heard, don't nobody know. Right? I'm on a team with guys from Virginia Tech, from Michigan, UCLA, Valpo, you just—I mean—you can name. You can just throw schools out there. Yeah. Um, and then, man, I gave a week and a half everything I had, and I made the team. I was one of those final ten to make the team. Oh, that's bro. That's a lot. Like that's a lot to go through to get to this point. So, I—I, I, how are you feeling at this time? Because from listening, it sounds like you would—you would be feeling very confident. You know, mm-hmm. like you're, you're like ripping through the competition. But is that how you feel? Somewhat confident, you know, at the same time, though, in that, so so the D-League or the G-League, as you call it, everybody trying to get called up to the NBA. Right. So it's like, regardless, I'm still not in the NBA. Still not in the NBA. And then it's such a cutthroat, it's such a cutthroat culture. Right. right? The head coach trying to get called up, the, the assistant coach, the dude keeping the score, you know, the dude that, that like, keep the score at the table, he's trying to get called up. <laughs> oh, Really? Everybody's trying to get called up, bro. Everybody's trying to. The president, the president of the G League team, he wants to be a president of the NBA team. That's a, that's that got to be the worst culture. That has to be. <laughs> it's hard, I, I, and I'm saying it from a business perspective that whenever 
you have a culture full of people who are trying to get from where they are to another place. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Nobody's trying to build a yeah. home. Like they just trying right. to get what they can out of whatever they can to get to the next spot. I imagine that culture is tough. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it, it's it, it was fun. Don't get me wrong, it was a lot of fun. But it's it's one of those types of things where you always on your toes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so you never get a chance to be like, damn, I made it from that that hundred and forty dollars to these seventy guys. I was the one out of this seventy, and I'm get to these seventeen. I'm the ten. It's always you always looking over your shoulder and like, man, I gotta you gotta keep going. You can't, you know. Now hindsight, it seems like you grinding. Right. I'm not saying that you yeah. wasn't. I'm saying at that point in time, I don't know how you feel, but but hearing it today is like you grinding. You're not taking no for an answer. Clearly, yeah. it has something to do with your upbringing. Clearly, it has a lot to do with your father and who and, and then you as a man. Did any of that have anything to do with books? Did books play the things you read? Because you said that's where you start reading a lot towards that second, you know, year in college. Did books play any part of that drive? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, a lot of the books that, I, like, when I first really started reading, I read self-help. Mm. Right? That was the first genre that I, I jumped into, self-help, uh, self-empowerment. Always thinking positive, speaking positive, thinking grow rich. Another book at that time was Attitude is Everything by Keith Real. was a book that I dove head first into. Napoleon Hill books, Robert Greene books, 48 Laws of Power, all of these sort of, like, mastering yourself mastering your thoughts and that is really what pushed me because again i've never been super athletic i'm not the fastest i couldn't jump the highest but that sort of reading and thinking was just stuck with me on the man if you believe you can do it man you got to go out and do it you feel me sure for sure that's good so boom all right you you're on the team you made it now uh how does that go and what what is that experience like? Because now you're so, one step from the NBA, right? The next step. If you yep. if you you've been ripping through the competition, if you excel again, then you're NBA. Yep, yep. I'm in the I'm in the second best basketball league in the world. The second. Uh-huh. That's what you're in right now with the GD league. Yep. So man, for me, it was a lot of fun. Okay. Um, it was a lot of fun. I ended up playing two seasons in the D league before I, before I stopped. So what what made you stop after two years? So the first year was great, had a lot of fun, played every game, and stayed on the team. The second year, got a new coach, different sort of team or whatever. He didn't really, he didn't really play me as much. You mm-hmm. feel me? He had other guys that he wanted to play in front of me. I ain't necessarily tripped because I understand how this goes. If you play two minutes, you you do the best you can in two minutes. You don't complain about nothing. Mm-hmm. You feel me? And I was always my every year, all my college years and all my years in D League, I was always the first person to practice and the last person to leave. Every yeah. single day, Mamba right? And I was the first person at every game. So, what happened about midway through my second season, like the coach and the president, all of them, whatever, they was like, "Yo, we like you, but it ain't enough minutes here for you." Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And what they when they say they like me, what they mean is they like you as a person. Mm. Uh, they ain't really feeling your game like that. Yeah, yeah, I see um, what you're saying. So. And I still remember that day. But understand now, we talking, I'm all state in high school, been playing since I was a kid, one of the best eight grades or whatever. I've never in my life been cut from a team. Right, right, right. Never. I've never had that you experience. You always pick first. I'm always picked first, mm-hmm. right? I'm all state. I'm all, you know what I'm saying? I do what I do. Now I'm 24 mm-hmm. and never been cut, right? So 
I remember it was after the game. I was showering. I'm in the shower, and they sent like the, you, you know, you got like the lowest assistant. He like the video coordinator, coffee getter, or whatever. They they sent him to the shower like, yo, mm. when you get dressed, coach want to talk to you. I'm like, ah, oh, here we go. You know what that mean? I know exactly what that means, right? So I get dressed. I go over there. The whole coach staff is there, and the president is there, and they was like, yo, we sorry, but we gotta let you go. Mm. And, and getting dressed, I knew that was what was coming. I hadn't been playing much, but I knew that, you know it's in your mind it's coming. But when they right. told me, the moment they told me, bro, I, I broke down. I cried so hard in front of all of them. You know what I'm saying? Like, I bawled like one of those, like, I can't breathe. Bro. You feel me? I, of course. Of course. <laughs> Anything less would have been uh, very interesting. Yeah, I yeah. imagine that. Yeah. I imagine that's. That's everything you've been you've been working for for so long, and just in the snap of a finger, you know, it's this halt. You know what I'm saying? So I imagine that that's crushing, man. Yeah, it was crushing. You know what I'm saying? It was tough. So they like, yo, you know, we wish you the best or whatever. And they they they, I felt like they were sincere about it. The president he pulled me to the side, like, yo, man, don't let this tear you down or whatever. I'm like, yo, I hear you. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Packed my stuff up, went back to the crib, came, drove back to Chicago the next day. Yeah, um, man. How how? So, I imagine after that there was some just some processing. I imagine you had to take some time to just regroup, or did you just shr- you know shake it off and go right back into something else? Or well, the plan was to regroup for a minute because I didn't know what was going to come next. Right. Um, but what ended up happening was I'm in Chicago. And as soon as I got cut from that team, I got contacted by another team that was like, yo, we heard you got cut. Sit still. We're going to put you on the radar. And two weeks later, that team picked me up. It was it was a team in Reno, Nevada. Gotcha. Um, and I went out there. It was the Sac- at that time, Sacramento, Sac- Sacramento Kings D-League team. I went out there. I was out there about a month, and then they cut. Man. This is right. what you see. This story you telling is what we see on TV all the time, man. You know, whether it's yeah. hard knocks or you know, that, yeah, man. It's just it's just powerful to hear it coming from you. Yeah, and without the money, understand? Right. I ain't getting paid a lot of money. Right, 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 you, right. You feel me? So um, but one thing about the yeah, one thing about the D-League people don't know is all your bills are covered. Your rent is free, light bill, gas bill, all your housing is free. Nice. All the food that you get is free because they give you per diem on a daily basis. So you, you know, you don't have bills per se. Right, right, right. Okay, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah, man. Yep. Okay, so, so boom, they cut you. They cut me from Reno. I'm back at the crib. I fly back to the crib, sitting at the crib. Now I'm like, well, basketball over. Let me find something else to do. I become a substitute teacher in high school. Now, I'm at, I'm at now, a- now, hold on. Why? Okay. Clearly, I I get the side of like, okay. Let me move on. But mm-hmm. one was that how how easy was that decision? Easy in the sense of how confident were you in that decision? And two, what do you? Why didn't you just? I'm gonna go again. I'm gonna go oversee. I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I get that because people people would ask that too. Like because at the time I was like 25. They're like yo, 25. You just gonna lay it down? Why you ain't just keep pushing? Keep pushing. The main thing for one was it just wasn't a lot of money, you know, and it's, it was a situation where, like, you during the season you was okay, but for the six, seven months that she was at the crib, it was like a struggle. Ooh, what I'm going to do, yeah. What? Yeah, what I'm going to do, I got to get a part-time job. I got to do this, you know, now you're trying to get a part-time job while still trying to train and work out mm-hmm. and stay in shape for the season. That was, and then also, too, like, the biggest thing for me was, like, my teammates, they would do that. They would get cut. They would just keep going, keep going, keep going. 
And I'm like, damn, why they keep going like for this short money or whatever? And I'm looking like the majority of them didn't finish college. They don't have the options that you have. I got two degrees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I came in the door when I when I walked in that tryout with the other 70 guys, I had a master's degree. Right, 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 right. Right. You know, the average ball player don't finish, don't get the bachelor's degree. Right. So for me, it was like, I got other options. Mm-hmm. Um, I got other options. So I'm like, man, let me figure this out. I become a substitute teacher, substitute teacher for like a month. I'm in the classroom, literally in the classroom, teaching the class and my phone blowing up. It just stayed blowing up. So I finally step out like, you know, who is this? It's my old Fort Wayne team. They like, yo, we want you to come back. <laughs> it's... It's like a yo-yo, bro. This is it's a crazy life. What you do, man? I went back. (laughs) (laughs) Calling me, calling me, calling me. I went back, bro. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Yeah, they they called me like, "Yo, can you? You know, we want you to come back because it was one of those we like you. We just like you as a person. We don't know about your game. We like you as a person. You don't get in trouble. You always here early. You stay late. You." You know what I'm saying? You never, I never complained about sitting on the bench. I never ever got into it with a coach. Never. So they was like, he's he a good locker room dude. Bring him back. So uh, they was like, can you come back tonight? I'm like, yo, I'm in the classroom. I'm teaching here. They was like, yo, can you can you be here tonight? I was like, yeah. <laughs> Let's go. So I walk into the principal's office like, yo, I know I've been subbing here, bro. I quit. I'm sorry. <laughs> Need somebody to go watch them kids, man. I got to go. Uh, yeah, I know y'all got me on the schedule. It's like, yo, y'all got me this day. I'm sorry. Get somebody to feel for me. My dream just called me. I have to go. They called me back, bro. I'm like, after the season, I'll be back. I promise I'll be back. Um, yeah, that's real. Yep, and then I ran to the crib. And actually, I was coming straight from my sub- substitute job. I didn't even get a chance to see my dad. My dad, he was now kind of working. Uh, yeah, I think he was working at the time with him. And I called him like, yo, I just got off work substitute. They said he need me tonight back in Fort Wayne. I got to pack a bag and go. Mm-hmm. And he was like, man, go ahead. Yeah, so I was going to ask you the whole time that you're doing all this, what was your dad's energy? Was his energy just like, man, you got to do what you got to do? Because, you know, sometimes parents can can want their kids to be safe, you know. Yeah. But that was that his energy just throughout this whole time? Just do what you got to do? Yeah, yeah. His thing was like, man, do whatever you feel is best. You know, don't worry about anybody else. Don't worry about me. Like, he wasn't telling me do this and do that. He was like, man, just sit and think what you think is best. Powerful. And he's like, whatever that decision is, you do that. I ain't going to tell you what to do. Powerful. Powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so, boom. You know. Back. So, now you're back at the spot. <laughs> you're back at the spot again. I'm back in the D-League now for my third, third stint in one year. Back in right. the D-League. Wow. And my original team. And finished out the season with them, played well, had a lot of fun or whatever. But that last little stint, I knew I was like, man, this is probably it for me. I, don't, mm-hmm. I ain't trying to keep doing I ain't want to do this for two, three years while I'm getting cut, go home, go here, fly here. You know, because, I mean, you, if you follow sports, usually those guys who are starting to get cut and picked up and cut and picked up, usually that's about to be your life yeah. for, you know what I'm saying? Only person I, I give a shout out to who... who Flipped that around was Derrick Rose, right? Derrick was on his way out, and then he, he was getting cut, getting hurt, getting cut, but he found a way to stay back in permanently. Mm-hmm. The average dude, you ain't getting in permanently. You always going to be the guy that they cut first, yeah. and then they call back, and your life is in disarray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I finished out the season. Once I finished out that season, I walked away. I was like, that's it for basketball. Okay. I already know. And that was it. How, and how was it closing that chapter, man? Like, was it 
you know, was it this hard, grueling, painful thing, or was it a graceful like, yo, I did all, I did my part. It is what it is. It was, it was hard because at the time, you know, it's like that's all you really know. Mm. I mean, you've been playing your whole life. You know what I'm saying? It's like what I'm gonna do now. It was hard. Mm. It was, it, it was really hard actually, man. Like tears in your eyes, kind of walking away. Right, um, right. As you look you back know, on it, do you still feel like you made the best decision? Yeah, I, I do. I do think I made the best decision. I, I don't think coming back there next year would have been a better situation. Right. Um, and I've been very fortunate. I played all the basketball, man, without any major, major injuries. I thought that's what was coming at some point in time. That's usually what happens. You know what yeah. I mean? At some point in time, that injury pops up. So that that's a big blessing. Yeah, yeah. Man, I, so I, one... That's bro. That's beautiful. That story, man. That perseverance. That's encouraging. You know, I, I always believe that. You know, whenever you can, you know, continue to overcome obstacles and adversity, man, it just builds something inside of you that you can't even pay for, man. So, mm-hmm. uh, I just want to salute that. Thanks, so, man. For sure. So, okay, boom. So we got two major mile- milestones to get to. At some point in time, you're gonna marry your wife. Yep. And you're gonna become Dr. DeWitt Scott. Yeah. Which one happens first? <laughs> so the marriage came first. Okay. So, like I said, we met senior year in high school, but we got together my fourth year of college. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We got and together so my fourth So from fourth year to all of the story with the D League, she holding it down. She's right by my side the entire way. Beautiful. Beautiful. Entire way, right? She, we, we got together my fourth year of college, long distance. She was in school in Ohio. I was in school in Indiana. So I'm we driving back and forth to see each other. What made the? What was the turning point? What was the? Because y'all was friends for so long. So what happened to take it from friendship to relationship? So you, know, I mean, you know, once you friends, when you friends like that, but you really like her because it was really one sided. Right? Oh, really? She, she wasn't. She didn't like you like that. Well, she she liked me as a friend. Got you. And her whole thing was like, this is my friend, this is my friend. The whole time in my mind, I'm like, I'm free Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm your friend. Yeah, just, be- just because I'm trying to get to, the- <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yep, I know exactly what you said. Yeah, I never intended to just be your friend from, from, from the first month I met her, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we started, you know, kind of staying in contact or whatever, but. Obviously, if I'm liking them, I'm starting to contact them more, talk to them more, talk to them more, whatever. And we get to the point now where we talking almost every day. Mm. Right? And we talking every day, every other day or whatever. I'm calling her, she calling me or whatever. Um, but I still wasn't ready to jump in. My whole idea was like, I'm just going to keep her close. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we talking and we talking or whatever. And then I think one night we was just talking and she was like, man, you know, like, where are we going with this? Because we talk all the time and, mm. you know, you be... You ain't just talking just complete friend talk. You dropping in a flirt here and this. Right, thing. right. You know, she, she picking up on clues. What's your intentions, DeWitt? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's like, you know, because it's getting kind of, you, you, it's getting a little regular here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, you know, I'm like, look, I'm like, hey, I'm open to this being, you know, whatever, wherever we take it. I ain't got no type of limit on this. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Or whatever. So, so then she follows up and that's right after that. You know, and we always claim each other. She asked me out. She was like, man, so you want to, she's like, yo, you kind of want to make this a relationship? And I'm like, yeah, sure. That's, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go. <laughs> there we yeah. go. I love it. I love it. And as they say, the the rest is history. Yeah, yep. yeah. So through yeah. through through the college graduations, he was there for both graduations. Um, Beautiful. All through that D league time, getting cut, being picked up, getting cut again, without but she was there the entire time, bro. Beautiful, man. I love it. So you've pursued your passion beyond what a, a lot of people, unfortunately, don't do or get the chance to do. You pursued your passion. You got the girl, you know what mm. I mean? And, uh, you know, you got the master's degree, but you say it ain't good enough. And at some point in time, you become Dr. DeWitt Scott. So what, what was you got bored or what's, what happened? So what happened was... um. I got a job at Chicago State University right here on the South Side. Nice. Um, you know, with my master's degree. I came right out of D-League a few months after finishing D-League. Boom. I'm a full-time admin at the university, um, which is cool because I was kind of young for that position. It was, so it, it was decent. But now, and also too, at that time, my girl, she wasn't living in Chicago with me. We was long distance how, at that how point. How far was she away? At that time, she was actually living in New York. She had went to, she got a master's from Columbia University. She, she the smart one. She got a master's from Ivy League school. <laughs> so she's in New York getting her masters and I'm in Chicago. So I, and I'm a young dude, I'm you know, I'm twenty-five at the time, I'm in mid twenties or something. So I'm just working and coming to the crib every day. I work, come to the crib, work. I ain't got no wife, I ain't got no kids or whatever. And the university I was working at, Chicago State, they had a doctoral program. And the doctoral program was in the exact same building I was working in. Got you. Right. The professors on my and it's actually the doctoral program is on the first floor. Like I have to pass by the program to get in and out of the building every day. And it became it got to a point like I got a master's. I ain't doing nothing when I get off work. Like I get off at five, I go to the crib. You know, like, you know, by the time I moved out of my dad's crib living by myself. So I go to the crib, play Xbox all night. I'm just Xbox, right. Xbox. And I'm like. It don't make sense for me to keep walking past this PhD program. Let me stick my head in and apply. You know, I applied, got in, and that's how that's how that's, that journey got started. Beautiful. And your your doctorate is in educational leadership, right? Educational leadership, and it's a doctorate. But for those that want to get technical, it's not a PhD. It's an EDD. A EDD. Yeah. Yeah. What's the what's the the difference between the PhD and the EDD? So the PhD which comes in a lot of different a lot of different Content areas. You get a PhD in philosophy, PhD in science, PhD in math, PhD in history, whatever, right? But the letters themselves, PhD, stand for Doctor of Philosophy, mm. right? So you got a Doctor of Philosophy in history, a Doctor of Philosophy in mathematics, a Doctor of Philosophy in communications, or whatever. The EDD, those letters themselves, EDD, when you flip them, they're the Doctor of Education. It's a doctorate specifically for the field of education. Nice, right? And the difference between the PhD and the EDD is that the PhD is supposed to be theoretical philosophical you're supposed to be a thinker a scholar who writes and researches and does these things mm -hmm. the edd is supposed to be practical you're supposed to be an administrator who's in the trenches and working every day mm -hmm. right phds write books and they write articles and they teach edds like they i have a full-time job i'm in this position mm, i see i see i see yeah. i see okay dope i see man so your journey your journey is beautiful as we as we catch up right to present day you know you come out of the hood in chicago you're blessed with this beautiful family you stay out of trouble you go to school you get your bachelor's you get your master's you pursue your dream vigorously you eventually make peace with moving to the next milestone uh, of your life a profession at a college 
Then you become a doctor. You marry your wife. I know you have two beautiful kids. It's it's beautiful. We're from the same place. So unfortunately, your story is the exception to the rule. Now I want to ask you specifically about the books. With this journey of yours, if you take away the books you read, do you think it would significantly change the man you have became or had the opportunity to become? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, right? I think the books is really what made me particularly in my adult life, is really what shaped who I am. So if I didn't have, if I didn't read or if someone, if I had to go back and erase all that I read and consumed through books, I probably wouldn't have done things that I've done professionally or I probably, my wife and I probably wouldn't even been together, you know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. it, it was that what I read that made me think the way that I thought and maybe act the way that I act and all of those things. So yeah, absolutely. My, everything would be different. That's powerful. So what was that first book that you read? So the first book, I'll say the first book that got me on this journey, right? Because we yeah. read it as kids or whatever here and there. The first book that got me on this journey, though, was 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene, um, which actually was introduced to me by my dad, right? Not, of course. Um, right. Naturally, you know, yeah. Naturally, right? My dad called me in the crib one day, and he had the book. And he was like, yo, check this out. Just, you know, thumb through the pages. I'm like, yo, this is pretty good. He's like, yeah, this book's serious or whatever. And, and the next day, I went out and bought my own copy. Nah, it was that hard. It was that, it hit me like that. Nice. Right? I went and bought my own copy. So, you know, just me and my dad, we living together. We in the house. We got, he got his own, we got the same book, but two copies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To make sure, <laughs> in case we both want to read at the same time, we exactly. ain't got no problems. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so, so that 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene, man, that's, um, that, that was the first, first that that put me on that, on that path, man. So, okay, so what is, if you had, I know this is, almost impossible question for somebody like you because you told me um you travel cities specifically mm-hmm. to go to bookstores you would get on a plane fly to a city with the the foundational purpose is to go to a bookstore which is powerful so but if you had to pick the number one book that changed your life what would you pick now, I know Man, this happens in stages, so you can go to the beginning, the first one that, you know, changed your life. So this is the book that changed my life forever, bro. It's a book entitled Black Men, mm. right? Single, Obsolete, Dangerous, right? And the subtitle is uh, The African-American Family in Transition. Mm, okay, okay. Right. I haven't read that one, bro. That's added to this, the top of the list. Yes, this is my favorite book of all time. This is the book that... When I read it and I put it down, I knew at that moment my life was changed forever. Bro. Wow! I, now this is another hard question, but can you just give me uh, the the basis of what it that what was the the transition? You know what I'm saying? What, what was it yeah. that was so potent? You know, in that book. So the book written by Hakeem Alabudi, one of the best uh, authors of all time, born and raised, well, lives here in Chicago now, and my mentor at at this moment, right? Oh wow! Um, yeah, so. What about it changed or maybe kind of made that transition for me? The book talks about the challenges that we face, black men face in America, right? But it talks about it in a way in which not just saying these stats, this is what's wrong, this is what happens or whatever. He talks about this is what you do to change the situation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it starts with the way that you see yourself, mm-hmm. Right. Once you see yourself a certain way and your relationship to the rest of the world, everything else will open up. Mm-hmm. Right. So reading that, reading this book made me see myself differently. Made me see like, okay, 
I understand what happens to black men. I understand the incarceration. I understand the violence, the, the gangs, the drugs, the, you know, single fatherness and all that, right? But when you see yourself as a leader for your family and your community, then you get a much more empowered feeling, mm. right? And this is what this, that's basically what this is. Black men need to be leaders, right? And I seen that, I was like, well, I, I was 20 years old when I read it. And I was like, well, this here is what I need to be as an adult male. Right. Um, Man, and, that's powerful. Yeah. yeah. I love so, you. I, um, I actually, I got a, I got the book tattooed on my arm. I was right? going to ask you about your tats in the interview. I was going to ask you, because I know you got, you got several tattoos. And I was going to ask you about, you know, some of the stories of them. Yeah. Yeah. So just one of them. I got a stack of books tattooed on my forearm. I can't, mm-hmm. can't really see it too much. Yeah, yeah, much. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a stack of books. What what I call is the 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 eleven books that make the foundation of who I am. Wow! Um, and at the at the very top of the stack is this book. Is that right. one right there? Is that one right there with the with the cover and everything? You could you could see it. It got the whole cover. Yeah. The, my tattoo artist is dope. He, he killed it. Yeah, I love that, man. I love yeah. that, bro. We go in the part two, three, four, five, six that we have all our talks. We gotta go. We gonna one one time. I just want to sit down with you, and I, I want to sit down with you and get the them eleven books. You know what I'm saying? Okay. We'll take time to go through them eleven books and do them justice, man. So a couple more, couple more book questions, man, and then we out of here. So the most, I. I is it safe to say because the next question was the most impactful lesson that you learned from a book but i assume you just answered that question with with that with that with that book right or no yeah no this book and many others that this book led me to similar books just like this but the whole idea like you know it's our role to be leaders and that don't necessarily mean to be dominant or to not listen or to call all the shots right because you know the best leaders listen right Um, yeah but but by leadership i mean or being a leader i mean Man, never run away from the difficult moments. Yeah. Um, you know, if it's a difficult decision that has to be made or it's a difficult situation that has to be faced, that man, you gotta run toward it. Just as a black man, you, you have to run toward it. You can't you that. can't even walk toward it. It's gotta you gotta go. God man, I love that. That that's I got so many comments on that, but this is not about me and there's gonna be thirty more minutes. Uh <laughs> but yeah, that's beautiful. So it's no secret that reading honestly in general you know reading books is not the most popular thing even before you get to black black people black men just in general you know you know reading but speaking specifically as it relates to black culture you know what what would you say one why do you think the lack of reading is such a thing and then two what would you say to someone about why it's so important to read? So it's a two part question, you know, Yeah. what's the, you know, what's the, what's causing that? Why don't we read? And then two, what would you say? It's, you know, okay. Okay. I'm giving you the platform. What, tell me, why is it so important to read? You know, how would you respond? Yeah. I would say the, the, the lack of reading in our community is really because it's not really celebrated. Mm. Right. I mean, you, you and I know we grew up in the same time or whatever it, the the hip hop artists really are the leaders, big facts, right? So if the hip hop artist came out and would say, you know, I read books and make rounds about books and this book and that book, <laughs> man, black men will pick it up, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Black men, I mean, you and I, we grew up in the, in the Jay Z era, right? When he was dominant, I mean, Jay Z, Jay Z had one line that made people stop wearing throwbacks. Man, for real, one line, 
Yeah, one, that's true. One line, everybody start wearing button ups. Yeah, because <laughs> you know what I'm saying. So if, yeah. if you got a little baby or you got, you know, I ain't too versed on the younger rappers nowadays. Mm -hmm. You know, little baby, dub baby, whatever, and they just started rapping about books. People pick up brothers and pick up books. Man. Yeah, that's um, real. You know, to the second part of the question is, like you say, people say, okay, well, why? What's so important? What's the big deal? Why is it so special to get the books? I think personally, because first of all, the acquisition of knowledge is very important, man. We should always be striving for knowledge all the time. But just the way the human mind and human life works, you will never know everything. You can't know, all. you can't have a complete understanding of all knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. What books do is they shorten the learning curve for you, mm -hmm. right? So, fans, I've never grown up in Houston. I've never... Right, I'm, I don't know what it's like to rap. I don't know what it's like to do Christian rap or whatever. Right, and I'll never do it. I'll never experience it, you know, per se. I, maybe one day I may wake up once, but <laughs> let's say no, right? So it's like, how do I get an understanding of that? Mm. Well, yes, I can listen to you talk about it. I could watch other people that do it, or I could read books about what it's like to grow up in Houston, what it's like to be tied to Christian music, what it's like to be tied to be a rapper, and now at least gives me a window into your experience. Yeah, that's good. Right, I, I don't have to live your life. To get a to get a feel, right? Obviously, experience is the best teacher, right? I'm not trying to say books are better than that, but without me having to move to Houston to live your life, have I an opportunity about... for that experience. Might yeah, have that opportunity to do, you know, a lot of the things we read in books. Exactly, right? So let me just get a glimpse of what that's like by reading this book, and then I walk away from it saying, okay, at least I got, at least if me and him had a conversation, I got a foundation of what I could ask and contribute to the conversation. Man, I think that's beautiful. And, you know, to to just to piggyback on what you're saying, the 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 dope part about books, because, you know, you also talk about, you know, uh, a lot of people. But speaking about our culture, you know, mm -hmm. we say, oh, man, you know, boys don't want to put you up on game or they gatekeepers or, you know, nobody mm -hmm. taught me. Well, oftentimes, in, you know, what books do, you know, nonfiction books, what they do is the author is building authority. So mm -hmm. they've studied, they've researched, they've learned, they've did, they've experienced, they did all these things in their area of focus or their industry. And they're compiling all this information the same way, you know, doctors do research papers or, you know, yep. you know, if you're doing, you know, your, your, your thesis statements, all that kind of stuff. You're basically yep. taking all of this information and presenting it to say, hey, I'm an authority. I'm an expert. I know about this. I, you know, I should hold weight. So yep. when you get that book. You you getting the game. You know what I'm saying? Like Fully. they're Fully. really giving it's not it's not a market employee. Because it, the the doper the book is, the the uh more famous they become, the more money they make. Yep. You know, and even if it ain't about that, the more respect they garner in their area of focus. You know what yep. I mean? So books, I may not be able, you know what I mean, to talk to you know, Robert Kiyosaki, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I can read all of his purple and black books, you know what I'm yep. saying? And so it really is because like you said, we should always be looking for knowledge, you know, coming up how we did, we, we, we didn't know a lot. We didn't have a lot, you know, but when you get into those books, it exposes you, even if nothing else, when you come to the thing, you can go, oh, I know what that is. You may never yep. saw it before in your life. Um, but you know what it is. Last thing I say is about that. I don't. It's a clip sur uh, surfacing with Magic Johnson. I don't know if you saw this. Magic Johnson is talking about back when he did his uh, shoe deal. You know, back in yeah, was it late seventies, eighties, something like that when he did his shoe deal. Mm -hmm. And of course, he was Magic Johnson. So every mm -hmm. shoe company was coming at him with all these offers and deals. And 
He said this young upstart came to him and said, now look, I don't got all that money everybody else offering you. I know they give you mm-hmm. crazy money. I don't got that. But I can offer you this small cash amount and uh, I can offer you a dollar per shoe that we sell and a crazy amount of stock. Now, at that mm. point in time, Magic had never even heard of stock. Like, he didn't know right. what that even meant or, you know, so he young, he popping, he goes for the bag, right? Ooh. Well, that company's Nike and that man was Phil Knight. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Magic say it still hurt today. <laughs> he say, yeah. he say if he would have took, them was like 79, early 80 stock options in Nike. But he shared I had no knowledge of what that even meant. Never even heard of the word stock before. So, you know, not to belabor the point, but that's with books, man. If nothing else, if you've been reading and you hear it, you like, oh, I remember that. Stock is I heard that before. I heard that before. You feel me? I heard that before, yep. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Hey, man, DeWitt, thank you for taking time out, bro. So, this was beautiful. So, DeWitt is the newest content contributor to the literacy kings and you will from now on be hearing a lot from dewitt dr dewitt scott he's going to be doing um uh, weekly book reviews uh weekly book reviews of some of the most uh powerful financial books books of empowerment uh that we've had the opportunity to to get our hands on and so if you haven't read the book maybe you just heard about the book and you want um a clear concise culturally relevant review of it every week uh, the week's gonna be hitting us with a book review i've had the opportunity to to, to get the jays before they came out you know what i'm saying i heard the mixtape before it dropped and it's fire it's beautiful you know what i mean so you know if you're checking out this show right now you're listening at this point and at, at this time then you one of them ones you've been rocking with us and you know the community that we've been building man so i want y'all to give you know a virtual you know hand clap bottle pop you know whatever for the homie dr dewitt scott and joining the team man DeWitt. yeah man so thanks man Corey, for, for for you know allowing me to contribute allowing me to, to be a, you know a team member uh literacy kings man i've been following literacy kings for a minute Loved it ever since I, I came across it. I was like, man, here go brothers doing something that, you know, I thought I, you know, I was just doing alone. So it's great to see other, other black men on this same path, man. So I, I'm just, man, any way I could just, you know, help is that that's all I'm here for, bro. My brother. I love it, man. All right. Appreciate y'all checking out the podcast. Make sure that you, you subscribe, that you locked in. The only thing you can do more after you, you subscribe is go to Patreon, patreon.com backslash literacy kings. Jay with the NBA gives in depth lessons over there uh, on everything from stocks to REITs to entrepreneurship. And it's a beautiful thing. Until the next time, I am Corey Paul. This is the literacy kings. Love. Reading, reading is fundamental. fundamental. fundamental.